what he was actually saying, but uh, apparently he heard me. Uh, I was telling somebody earlier, we've been studying First Samuel, and uh, for whatever reason, I felt impressed to the Lord in the weeks going into Easter to preach uh, a different message today. And it's out of Luke chapter 14. We're going to read verses 15 through 24. And uh, how many um, how many have ever had a job where somebody asked you to a working lunch? You were going to go to lunch and you were just going to have to work over lunch. Or a working dinner. Sometimes people would say, you know, let's go out to dinner. when I give you an offer or whatever. And uh, it's normally expensed. And, you know, it's, sometimes it's offering a job or whatever. A working dinner or a working lunch. I, I've entitled that. Uh, the message today, working dinner, because Jesus is invited to dinner, and uh, it was not under normal circumstances. You know, you get invited to do, when you're the Savior, you get invited to dinner uh, for one reason, or, or one of two reasons. One is they really want fellowship, and they want to hear what the Messiah has to say. The other one, which would be this case, would be so that we can catch you in your words, and we can point out what's wrong with you and judge you before all people. Uh, that was the instance here when Jesus is invited to share a meal with a gentleman. And uh, there were some people there, we could call them no-gooders, who were continually trying to do something to make sure that people would not listen or follow Jesus anymore. And Jesus takes the opportunity, instead of just leisurely letting them have their way, he turns it into a working supper and he decides to teach some lessons. And I want to see if we can glean some things uh, from the latter part of this uh, story here, the Bible says in uh, Luke chapter 14, beginning down in verse 15, and when one of them sat at meat with him, uh, heard these things, he said unto him, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now, let me just preface this. Jesus, when he said heard these things, Jesus has just told them, listen, if you're going to host a dinner, don't call your friends or the wealthy or the important people uh, to dinner because really you're doing that so that you can be reinvited to dinner. Uh, you're having them over so that you could reposture yourself. Um, you're having them over so that you could be invited to a meal and a banquet. And in those days, those things were important and you got invited. And, you know, the previous part of this is them going to a meal and looking for the cheapest of seats, you know, the parables. So he's talking about a lesson in humility, and he's talking about, listen, you have a wrong purpose of inviting people to your house. It's so that you can mingle, exchange business cards, get their LinkedIn account, right? So you can find out how you can better your life. And Jesus said, don't do that. If, if you want to do something meaningful, invite people to your house that can't repay you. Invite people to your house just for the sake of having people so that you can be friendly and have fellowship and provide them a meal. And so when he heard these things, this Pharisee says, blessed is he that shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. So now he's going to present himself as I'm going to be in the kingdom of God. Are you? And this is a false security. This Jew who's very religious is posturing himself before the Lord Jesus and says, well, speaking of having people over and eating, I think we should just make this relevant here and now i want you to know it's going to be a blessing to be in the kingdom of god it's going to be a blessing to eat there and then jesus immediately turns it into a working dinner look what he says in verse 16 then said he unto him a certain man made a great supper and bade many and sent his serpent uh, i'm sorry his not his serpent different story and sent his servant at supper time to say to them that were bidden come 
for all things are now ready. And they all, with one consent, began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I bought a piece of ground. I can't make it. I got I to gotta go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. Another said, I've, I bought five yoke of oxen, ten ox. That means he has property. That means he has money. You don't manage ten oxen, teams of oxen by yourself. You have people to do that for you. And so he says, I bought a piece of ground. I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. I'm sorry, that was verse 18. Five yoke of oxen, I go to prove them. Verse 19, I pray thee have me excused. Look at verse 20. This guy really doesn't have an excuse, so he pulled one out of his back pocket. Another said, I married a wife. He might as well have said, I have a half a gallon of milk in the refrigerator. I married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I don't know what exactly that means. Maybe she said you can't go anywhere. Verse 21. So that servant came, the one who did the bidding, and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city, and bring hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. And the servant said, Lord, it is done as thou hast commanded, and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges, and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say unto you that none of those men which were bidden... Remember the ones that had excuses. None of those men which were bidden shall taste of my supper. Sabbath day hospitality was an important part of the Jewish life. So it was not unusual for Jesus to be invited to a home for a meal after the weekly synagogue service. It would be normal. Um, It was in this setting that Jesus gives us a parable. Now, when you read a parable, you're reading an illustrative story that Jesus gives with a purpose. Normally, it's, it's always twofold. One is to expose sin The other is to emphasize a great truth. Now, we read these passages in verses 15 through 24. And here, Jesus addresses not only this man's false security about going to heaven, but anyone else that thinks that they will be in heaven with God someday, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ given by the invitation of the Holy Spirit. Now, this parable has a primary purpose to it. That is to show the religious Jews that just because they're religious... I say it a different way, just because they've been faithfully committed to a religion, you understand? Just because they're religious and just because they're Jews does not guarantee them a seat at God's table. Secondly, without accepting God's invitation through Jesus Christ, there is no kingdom feast for you. And once that invitation is rescinded, the door is shut. No man can come in. Now, in Jesus' day, when you're invited to guests to a dinner... You told them the day, but not the exact hour of the meal. Now, that today would drive just about any host crazy, right? Look, we're going to eat at 5.30. By the way, if you say that you're going to eat at 5.30, eat at 5.30. Especially, you know what I mean? So, if, if in this day, it wasn't, okay, we're going to eat at 5.30, right? They didn't carry sundials. Because it doesn't, never mind. doesn't work that way. They just said, listen, we're going to eat Thursday evening at the supper hour. And what that meant was, I'm going to, I need to know, first of all, whether you're coming. So the indication is that all three of these individuals had already been invited. Then once you had the invitation, that meant that you know how much food to make, right? So you prepared enough for those that responded. Once the meal was almost ready to serve, you sent the servant. The servants would go and they would go to each individual and they would say, hey, All things are now ready. Come. Now is the time. And so the servant is going to go and 
uh, the animals are all butchered and the, the, the uh, feast is made ready. And so what, what is the expectation? Well, the expectation of the host is you told me that you were coming. I prepared all this food for your coming. And so I expect that you'll be there. Does that make sense? So there's no waste involved just because the time is not necessarily given doesn't mean that anybody is going to not be ready. Everything is going to be ready and you're to be expected to be ready for the evening meal. But instead of eagerly coming to the feast, all these guests insulted the host by refusing to attend. And they all gave very feeble excuses to defend their change in plans, excuses. That's not the necessarily the emphasis of the passage, but Billy Sunday said something very interesting about what when people give excuses. He said the, uh, an excuse is the skin of a reason stuffed with a lie. That's pretty powerful. Every one of these people had agreed, and now they simply changed their mind and start every one of them giving excuse. Having prepared a great dinner for many guests, then the host did not want all the food to go to waste. So what does he do? Well, he sends a servant out to gather a crowd and bring them into the banquet hall. Now, think about this just for a minute. You've got to think through every story that Jesus gives. What kind of men would be found out in the street? What kind of people would be found in the lanes, the Bible says, of the city or the highways and hedges? I'll tell you who. The outcasts. The people that no other people want to deal with. They're the loiterers. They're the homeless and the undesirables. You know, the kind of people Jesus came to save. These men may have had only one reason for refusing the kind invitation, and that is simply that they were unprepared unprepared to attend such a fine dinner. So the Bible says that the servant was compelled, he compelled them to come in. And let's be honest, the people that that he was going to go invite, they really had no excuses. Walk with me just for a minute. The poor couldn't afford to buy oxen. So they weren't going to have the excuse. Um, the blind could not go to examine any kind of real estate. They couldn't see it anyway. Think of the poor, the maimed, the lame, and the blind. They weren't usually the kind of people you found given in marriage. So they had no excuses. This crowd would be hungry. This crowd would be lonely. This crowd would only be happy to accept an invitation to a free banquet. You're coming to me just because you have food? You're coming. Do you know who you're talking? You're coming to me just to offer this fine meal. No one would ever invite people like me. This parable had a special message for the proud Jewish people who were so sure they would eat in the kingdom of God. But I will tell you, it also has a tremendous parallel that applies to us today. I'd like to speak to that this morning as we consider the story Jesus told over dinner. I want us to consider, first of all, another great provision, another great provision. Like the host of our story, God is the great host of heaven. And he's made a great provision for all of us and for the whole world. It's the forgiveness of sin and the eternal home in heaven. Salvation is not a funeral, ladies and gentlemen. It is a feast that begins and ends with Jesus Christ. God sent Jesus Christ to the earth to provide for us what we could not provide for ourselves. The Bible tells us for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all the same. We're all outcasts. None of us have become profitable to God. Together we've become unprofitable. We're all in need of forgiveness. We're all in need of salvation. We are all in need of God. So God, in his love, sent Jesus Christ. And what did he do? He provided what was needed for you and I to go to heaven. I want you to notice the provision. Jesus Christ is, first of all, our sacrifice for sin. 
Hebrews 9 and verse 26, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. Listen, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. God did not send just anyone. God sent himself. He sent Jesus Christ to die. The Bible says, for even hereunto were you called because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. But committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Listen, who is, who is in, who in his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. Jesus Christ was the provided lamb of God, according to John the Baptist, that taketh away the sins of the world. What is that? That's a sacrifice. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus Christ is our sacrifice. Secondly, he is our substitute. So what does that mean? Listen, when you look at the cross, you should think this first. Yes, God loves me. Secondly, you should think, you should think that should have been me. The vicarious death of Jesus Christ was not for other people. Listen, it was for you. Jesus had you in mind. God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son. He didn't send his son into the world to condemn you, but that through his son you might be saved. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 20, 21, for he hath made him, that is Jesus, sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. You know Isaiah 53, surely he hath borne our griefs. The Bible says, and carried our sorrows. You know, you have a Bible right to change that word our to mine. You could do that. And it would be fine with God. You could read it like this. Surely he hath borne my griefs and he had carried my sorrows. Yet I did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquities. The chastisement of my peace was upon him. And by his stripes I'm healed. He was, yes, a sacrifice, but he was your and my substitute. That's the provision of God, which means, number letter C, that means that God provided him as our savior. Second Timothy 3 and verse 6, I love this passage, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. Who is that? The man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. In Christ, who is our life, God has made provision for a life of peace in the midst of chaos. He's made a provision for the life of joy in the midst of sorrow. And he's provided love and hope in a world of hate and depression. Oh, there's a great provision that's been provided. And all that has been provided... Uh, like the host in our story, all things are now ready. A great provision. Secondly, I want you to see a gracious invitation. God in his holiness offers his son to be brutally put to death for a world full of liars. For a world full of unbelievers. For a world full of murderers and drunks and adulterers and haters and those that are corrupted through greed and power. And for no other reason but his love. 
God says, I love the liar. (laughs) I love the power hungry politic. I love the corrupt judge. I love the adulterer. I love the fornicator. I love the greedy. I love the angry. I love the bitterness. I love it all. That's called the unmerited favor of God. For by grace, unmerited favor, are you saved through faith and and not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. No man can boast of something they cannot do. I used to be able to dunk a basketball. I can't do it anymore. I don't brag about it anymore. Not in the present tense. I brag about it in the past tense. There's a lot of things I can't do, none of which do I boast about. Now, we may boast about things we can do. But we don't normally boast about what we can't do. God says, for by grace are you saved, and it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You can't boast about what you can't do. You can't save yourself. Everybody understand that? You can't save yourself. Only God can save you. You can't atone for your sin. You can't forgive yourself. Only God can do that. For by grace, it's the invitation of God. That's how I get the invitation. His invitation is offered to anybody who will respond. It doesn't matter what your name is. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter where you grew up. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're doing. What matters is the invitation is given because all things are now ready. Nothing else has to be done. Jesus died. Three days later, he rose again. It's all ready. The blood is enough. The grace of God is enough. I just want to give you the invitation, which means you got to respond. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. For I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest in your souls. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Compared to sin, weigh it out. God says one is a wage. That's what you're working for. The other one's a gift. It's much easier. In the last day, Jesus said in John 7 and verse 37, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture had said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. It's all ready. I've got it prepared. All you need to do is come. All you need to do is call. Revelation twenty two seventeen. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, will, let him take of the water of life freely. What is God saying? God is saying in 2 Corinthians 6, behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. All things are ready. Don't hesitate. I have made provision for your salvation. I have made provision for the grace of God to come into your life, to forgive you of your sin, to change your life from death to life, from darkness to light. I've come to make you something that you cannot possibly be without me. Righteous in my sight. It's all ready. I'm giving the invitation. Now come. Will you accept the invitation or are you going to make excuses? Well, I'm religious. Well, I, I've been a member of this. Well, I, I had one man say, I knocked on the door years ago, right here in Morgan Hill. I said, sir, if you died today, are you 100% sure you'd be in heaven? He said, absolutely. I've been an elder for, for 40 years. I said, sir, that's great. 
I'm glad that you've been in your church that long, but I didn't ask what position you held. I said, do you know for sure? He said, young man, I've been an elder for 40 years. I said, sir, I'm sure glad of that. But do you know if you died today, you'd go to heaven? He slammed the door in my face. Fred, I don't care what you do. And by the way, I can't impress God with my works. God doesn't care what you do. God cares who you are. And I'm either a child of disobedience or I'm a child of the living God. And I'm only a child of God by the spirit of God that bears witness with my spirit that I am his. For if any man have not the spirit of God, he is none of his. Now, the fact remains that I can either accept the invitation or I'll make an excuse. I have a, but I have a background in religion. I was this. Or I have a relationship more important or a lifestyle that I don't want to, don't want to change. Listen, remember what Billy Sunday said, that an excuse is a reason, uh, 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 the skin of a reason with a lie stuffed inside. It's not the truth. You need to be saved. And now is the time. All things are ready. The invitation's given, but there's a third parallel. And this is the one for the rest of us here today. The third parallel is this. There's a nameless suggestion mentioned throughout the story. I've read this parable many times. Many, many times have I read this parable. I've never seen what I'm about to give to you. God was so gracious to show me this week. This story is a very powerful story about God's love for mankind and the invitation of hope from God. But I want you to notice how the invitation comes by a servant. The host makes ready. And how do the people know to come? Because someone went and told them. The person who was entrusted with the information about the feast, its location, the directions on how to get there. All that the master had prepared could not be enjoyed unless the servant was willing to tell the people that the dinner was ready. God's invitation stands this morning like we are in God's house and we're here to be reminded that that's what we are. Could I say it in a better way? That's what we're supposed to be. Servants of the Most High God. If people are going to hear about the heavenly provision that God has for them and to be saved, it will only be because of his servants. It will only be because of his servants that will take the message into the, oh, the highways and the hedges. I want you to notice a couple things about the servant. First of all, letter A, a servant does his master's bidding. A servant does his master's bidding. See, if I surrender as a servant, what I'm saying is, I have a master. Could I ask you this morning, who's yours? Because we all have one. Jesus said, no man can serve two of them. For either he will love the one and hate the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Who's your master? Is it your boss? Is it your job? For some people, the master is the prestige of the job. For some, it's the perks. For some, it's self. For some, it's money. I don't know who your master is. This servant was serving the master who was the host who had made the great provision. 
In Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah, who in his own eyes was a very unclean thing, he had dwelt in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and he confessed that he had unclean lips. The Bible says that God took a coal off to the throne of God, and an angel touched his mouth and said, Behold, you're cleansed. The Bible says, Also I heard a voice for the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I. Send me. And he said, go and tell his people, hear ye indeed. The fact of the matter is the master's bidding is not done by the master, but by a servant. A servant does his master's bidding. Secondly, the response doesn't deter his obedience. So he goes out and he says, listen, the dinner is all ready. The master's expecting you. And all three of them said, no, no, no. And they all lied about why. They all gave an excuse. It doesn't matter what the excuse is. They said, I am not coming. That's the whole point of the parable. God expected them because of who they were and their word that I will do this. And they said, no. And so he comes back and God says, listen, I want you to see this. I want you to go out again. And it didn't stop him from going out. The servant didn't turn around and say, well, how do you know the rest of them are going to have excuses, God? I mean, they can say, well, I may, I'm lame and I'm blind and I'm homeless and I don't have any friends. I don't like people. They could have had a variety of them, but it didn't stop him. Their disobedience and their disregard for the host had nothing to do to deter the servant's bidding. The servant said, I'm going to go anyway. Acts 13, but when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken, oh look, by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing you put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we go to the Gentiles and hallelujah, he did. If he doesn't, we're not sitting here today, hallelujah. If he doesn't decide, hey, if the Jews aren't going to get saved, I'll just go to the highways and hedges. None of us in this room are saved. The servant was not deterred by their denial of the invitation. I want you to see, thirdly, the servant is willing to go to anybody. Look, the fact of the matter is, verse 21, the Bible says, so the servant came and showed his Lord these things. Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring hither the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. Listen, there was no tips in that group. There was nothing. Look, don't you think it would be far, it would have been far um, more interesting to be the valet for the chariots that came in with the people who were much to do? Thank you for parking this. Thank you. Oh, look. You know how people slip things into your hands. Oh, look. I've got a fiber. By the way, don't you hate tipping valets? Do you? Maybe. Maybe it's just me. I'm thinking, why am I going to pay you five bucks to run a half a block that way and bring my car? I could just do it myself. But when you, you do that, you're recognizing the fact that it's kind of cool to have a valet. So you kind of have to bring extra change. I always take $2 and fold them up. So it looks more. I know I'm a tight wad. My wife says, honey, don't give them to give them five. I was like, five dollars. They're making 15 bucks an hour. Why are I going to give them five? Gonna, look, at 45 seconds, they're going to have our car here. You want to be okay. And they always go, thank you, sir. Here's your keys. And you know, all that stuff. It kind of makes you feel good, right? It makes you feel important. Well, it would have been far cooler 
for the servant to be that kind of guy for the people who had a little bit more? People who had the ten yoke of oxen and the servants and the property to go with it. The people who had the means that were far more kinder. They weren't outcasts. These were people that were necessary to mingle with. If you wanted to better yourself, it would be far better. It would be far more pleasurable to talk to people like that, wouldn't it? You know, the people that aren't sitting with the signs, the people who don't walk, or the people who walk like you do, who dress like you do. More comfortable. More convenient. But he says, no, I don't want you to go to those people. I'm going to throw an audible. We're going to change the game plan. I want you to go to the outcasts. Go to the people that have nothing. They don't even have hope. I want you to talk to them. The poor. The maimed. The halt. And the blind. How long would it take a blind guy to get to dinner that he doesn't even know about? Long time. Except someone guide him. How long does it take to get a cripple to dinner? (laughs) Except someone carry him. Servants willing to go to anyone. I love the Apostle Paul. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. To the Jew first. But also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of, of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written. The just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. Who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Paul said look. I don't care who do I go to. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I'm going to preach to the whole world. I don't care what they do to me. I don't care why I got to go. I don't care if it's to a jailer in the bottom of the prison. I'm going to tell him when he asks, what must I do to be saved? He's going to know, and I'm not ashamed of it. When I go to Rome and I sit at Caesar's court, I'm not going to hold him in respect of persons because he is as much of a sinner as the lame person that sat outside of the gate, beautiful outside of the temple of God. They all are in need of Jesus, and I'm going to tell them all. Why? Because I'm just a servant. One of the things that Paul likes to call himself over and over in the Bible is Paul, a servant of God. Jesus' own brothers called themselves servants of God. But are we? Because a servant does his master's bidding. A servant's re- the, the, the response doesn't deter the servant's obedience. The servant is willing to go to anybody. And then letter D, he sees there's always room for more people. The Bible says in verse 22, it's a tremendous story. Jesus tells and the servant said, Lord, it is done. What does that mean? I've done all that you've asked me to do. Servant's obedience. Lord, the Bible says it is done. Verse 22, as thou hast commanded and yet there is room. And the Lord said unto the servant, go out into the highways now in the hedges and compel them all to come in that my house may be filled. You see, the Christian life is a feast, not a funeral. It's not what most people think that it is. And all are invited to come. We have in our mind who should be told or who would make a good candidate to be saved. But God says, listen, I want you to remember where I found you. I found you as a as a forlorn newborn baby in the middle of the desert and you were covered in your own blood and I came and I put you under my wings and I brought you into myself and I saved you not because of you but because of me. It's not about who 
on this planet. It's about who is in heaven. Glory to God. His grace is sufficient. His love is enough. He's supposed to be the master. The Christian life is a feast, not a funeral. Each of us as believers must herald abroad the message. Come for all things are now ready. God wants to see his house filled and yet there is room. He wants you to go to your home in Mark chapter 5 and verse 19. He wants you to go into the streets and the lanes here in Luke chapter 14, the highways and the hedges, and into all the world, Mark 16, 15, and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus said, therefore, said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. Go your ways, he said. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Let me just ask you straight up, since I'm that kind of a guy. (laughs) Would you be willing to serve the most high God? Wouldn't it be great today just to have a house full of people that say, God, I'll be your servant. One of the greatest verses in all the Bible, it talks about Mary as a Bond slave. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. She just avails herself. You want me to go through shame? I'll go through it. You want me to go through gossip and ridicule? I'll go through it. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. A bond slave. Who's your master? Would you consider changing masters today? This parable was the text of the last sermon D.L. Moody ever preached in his life. The title of his message was Excuses. The message was preached on November 23rd, 1899 in the Civic Auditorium in Kansas City, Missouri. Moody was a sick man when he preached it. He said, and I quote, I must have souls in Kansas City. That's what he told the students in Chicago before he left. He said, I quote, never, never have I wanted so much to lead men and women to Christ as I do right now. There was a throbbing in his chest. He had to hold to the organ to keep from falling, but Moody bravely preached the gospel. And 50 people responded to trust Jesus Christ. The next day, Moody left for home, and within a month, he died. Up to the very end of his life, Moody was, as this verse says, compelling them to come in. The word compel means to constrain with violence. Now, I don't advocate that you go off and hold somebody by the neck and say, you better get saved. I don't advocate that. But I sure advocate the power of the gospel of Christ. I advocate the power that still works today, that worked 2,000 years ago. Do you know why? Though we may look a little different, we may dress a little different, we may even talk a little different, we're still the same people. People walking the earth around people who have no idea. I said this story on Wednesday nights. For those of you that are here, I'm sorry, but I need to tell it again. Last Sunday afternoon, I went to do my coaching for the flag football, gridiron football here locally. And I coached 10 and 11-year-old flag football. It's awesome when you win. It's really fun. And I, I committed this year, I actually asked some people to be helpers on our team so that I could witness to them. And, um, and I'm praying for them. 
one relationship that I had just started having was with the co-director of the league. His name was Adrian Alcantara. And he's actually the junior varsity football coach at Sobrato High School. He's a Filipino. Whenever I find a Filipino, I immediately, I go right to them. And I go, hey, look, I'm one of you. And we talk about kanji and pansit and loopy rolls and everything good about the Filipino heritage. We got talking about football. And two weeks ago, he said to me, how did you come to Morgan Hill from Southern California? I said, man, that's a great story. I said, God brought me up here. I'm actually a pastor of the Shadow Mountain Baptist Church. Really? I said, yeah. You've been there 20 years? I said, 20 years. I've been the pastor 17 years. He said, man, that is cool. Couldn't say anything else. Conversation ended. He had to go and clean up the field. Last Sunday, we were out at practice. And he was cleaning up the cones. We had practiced a little bit late. We were the only ones left. And I was throwing passes to some of the kids that were left over. He said, hey, don't worry about, you know, getting off the field. Take as much time as you need. I'll come back at 7 and I'm going to lock up. I said, okay, man. Fist bump my son. He, for whatever reason, likes to watch my son play football and likes to talk about him. And he said goodbye. Walked off the field. Didn't see him anymore. Wednesday, I got an email that Adrian Alcantara died on Monday evening. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? I was this close to a man that was 24 hours, less than 24 hours from dying, and I didn't know it. And neither did he. And I just thought, what do you, what do, you do at that point? God, did I do enough? Did I say enough? Did I try hard enough? This man could be in hell. I don't know. By the grace of God, he could be saved. I don't know. There are some indications that at least people around him were saved. But who do you work with that you don't know will be alive tomorrow? So you're trying to guilt us into being paranoid? No, but the time is now. All things are ready. Come, go and come again and go and come again. The repetition doesn't stop because we know when the time is. God says now you'll never find in the Bible. Behold, get saved tomorrow doesn't say that. It doesn't say, behold, tomorrow or the day after tomorrow is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Why? Because you don't know what a day may bring forth. Behold, now is the time because your life is a vapor that appears for a while and vanishes away. I don't know what you get out of that story. But when I read that story, I thought, God, I'm just not doing enough. Somebody I know, somebody somewhere that I'm going to be in contact with needs Jesus Christ. And this is the greatest time of the year. We are just a few weeks from Easter, my friend, the day that we celebrate our victory in Christ. Our Jesus is alive. He's not dead and he's worth serving. My point is this. The fact of the matter is we all, we are all obligated to obligate ourselves to the master that saved us. Would you say, God, I want to be your servant. Maybe today you'd say, God, would you put someone deep on my heart that I could willingly invite to church on Easter or better? Would you put someone on my heart that I could start praying for, that I could witness to, that they could be saved? That would be better. And either way, God's house is not full. There's always room for more. Let's bow our head and close our eyes for prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm so glad that you 
moved me from first Samuel so that I could talk about Jesus. So I could talk about the need that really is pressing in this world. God, you are ready to come. All things are now ready. Lord, there is nothing holding you back from coming and rapturing this church and turning this world over to the Antichrist, Savior, long-suffering with mankind, and that you're not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God, I was so moved by Adrian's death, my heart hurt when I read the email. And though I may not know why or how he died, the most important thing that I do know is that he is dead. And I can no longer reach that soul. God, I, I confess to you that I could be a better and more faithful servant. And Lord, while I have been disobedient or unfaithful, I ask for your mercy. And I ask God on the behalf of our church that you would please, please, raise up and then send forth laborers into the harvest. Our world is so hurting. There's so many people hurting, so many people depressed and anxious, so many people turning to every possible thing like they always have. Or it's no different. They're all sinners trying to find something that they cannot find in this world. And yet, Lord, you have an amazing feast. God, there are people in this room that have been saved long enough to know of the feast of the grace of God that their lives have been blessed with because of your saving them. God, that life, who wouldn't want that life? That feast is ready. And we have it. We have the directions. We know where it's we know all that needs to be known for them to have you and to be at your table. We pray today that you would take us and use us. We pray today that you'd save souls on behalf of Jesus Christ. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder if I could just talk to you for a moment. You're here, and you know for certain that you're on your way to heaven. You'd say, Pastor, I know Jesus Christ is my personal Savior. I do know I'm on my way to heaven. But God's spoken to me this morning about being his servant. And I want to be a better servant. I want to be a faithful servant. I want to be faithful to help people find what God has given me so graciously. Would you pray for me during this invitation? If that's you, would you just slip up your hand real quick? Anybody like that? All over the room. I wonder this morning if you'd say, Pastor Haynes, I, I don't know Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm like that religious man who just assumes that I'm going get, to get be allowed into the kingdom of God to feast. But I'm not 100% sure if I died that I'd be there. I don't know this feast that you're talking of. Would you pray for me? I feel like God wants me to respond to the invitation of salvation today. I need to be saved. If that's you, would you just slip up your hand briefly, real quick, and put it down? I won't come to you. Pastor, pray for me. I need to be saved. Very simple invitation. Here's my hand. Anybody like that? Just slip it up and put it down. All right, church, in a moment, we're going to stand. I'm going to ask Jenna to begin to play. I'm going to open this front altar and I'm going to ask you to come and just find a spot by yourself where you could go before the throne of God. And I want you to do two things. Number one, I want you to thank him for what he's provided for you and how he's provided it. 
how abundantly you have been blessed because of God's grace. Secondly, I want to ask you to pray for someone that doesn't have what you have in Christ. And I want you to say to God something like this, Lord, I want to surrender today to be the servant so that I can go and come again. And I want to be faithful to helping people know about how wonderful the Christian life is. Just surrender. Let God work the details out. Would you do that this morning? Let's all stand together with our heads bowed and eyes closed. Heavenly Father, 